Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. <laughs> well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word. But we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. During the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles in the temple in Jerusalem, the priests would circle around the altar in a counterclockwise direction, singing the great Hosanna verses from Psalm 118. It was verses 25 and 26. Hosanna, please Adonai, please Lord, save us now, deliver us now. We beseech you, Lord, prosper us. Baruch Abba Bashem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday and his triumphal entry, the people didn't just make up the hosannas that they sang to him before him. They didn't just make up, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is something that they had celebrated every year for hundreds of years during their Feast of Tabernacles as the priests were proclaiming the coming of the Messiah someday who would fulfill these verses of Psalm 118. When Jesus came into Jerusalem on the donkey that day, the people were saying, this is him. This is the fulfillment of Psalm 118, the psalm about our Messiah. He is the one that we've been waiting on. He is the one that Psalm 118 is all about. We're going to talk about that today and some more things about the Feast of Tabernacles in Psalm 118. And that's what this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study is all about. Well, we're um, going to look at the Feast of Tabernacles today, um, which uh, is the last of the seven appointed times of the Lord for his people that he called his people to observe in Leviticus chapter 23. And um, it's uh, one of the fall feasts, obviously, as the last one of the seven. And we know from past lessons that the fall feasts look forward to something that will be fulfilled in the future. For us as Christians, the spring, the four spring feasts, as they're called, look back to Jesus' first coming, and then the three fall feasts look forward to Jesus' uh, second coming, whether it be the rapture through Rosh Hashanah or his actual second coming when he sets foot on the Mount of Olives uh, on the Day of Atonement, or now during Tabernacles, that looks forward to something as well. We're going to talk about that. But before I launch into all of that, Jan has something. You want to show them and tell them about this story? She's so excited about this. A <laughs> little thing. Uh, you know, we've been moving our old house, cleaning out, junking things. So we were, uh, we had the junk people come to our big uh, unfinished basement. And there's all kinds of stuff down there we didn't even know we had. So we're coming over, and I'm just walking around, kind of supervising it. And I look in this box, and this plate is lying on top of the box. I looked over, and I'm like, what? (laughs) So I pick it up. It says, Feast of Tabernacles. (laughs) 1987. And, you know, it goes Isaiah 4319, Rivers of Living Water. 
John 7, 38, and it's got the menorah, you know, or whatever that, I think, what is this called? Menorah. Menorah, something. And all of that on it. I'll pass it around. It's really cool. I have no idea where we got it, how we got it. We have, we have not, not been, been to the Holy Land, the Holy Land. so. Hey, you weren't there then? We were there in 1987. I consider it a God thing. Yeah. Yeah. He that of all the times, box. right? Of all the gin joints well, in all the world. Probably what happened is Greg has friends over the years who have given him, you know, ladies wow, whose pastors' husbands have passed on and they've given him tons of supplies and information, and that's probably where we got it. But, you know, it was just such a shock to me. I was like, look, and I leaned over, and the, there it was. And I, was like, I was like, and Yeah, it means so much more to us now than it did then as we have gone through this. And the reason it has... on the back of it, like... No, I wish we remembered who, who, where we got it, but um, there was a there was a, a a pair of sister there were there were a pair of sisters in our old church who um, her one of her uh, one of the ladies' husbands had been a pastor at Linwood and Columbia Baptist. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but Linwood and Columbia Baptist are, or they used to be a shared pastorate. So they had one pastor that they shared between them. They're just 10 minutes away from each other on the east side of town. And so like the early morning service would be at Linwood and then he would finish there and then he'd run down to Columbia and they'd have a later morning service there and he would pastor both churches. And I think that she is the one who gave that to, to us. So the reason the images that are on there that are on there is because part of the Feast of Tabernacles um, celebration involves lighting menorahs. And in Jesus' day, these were huge menorahs that you basically had to get to on ladders to light. They were so big. And then also the, the reason for the river and the water there is because there was also a part of, we're going to talk about this too, there was a part of the ceremony that was called the water ceremony. And uh, the Feast of Tabernacles is actually one of the specific feasts that we have recorded in Scripture that Jesus actually attended. And in John chapter 7, which that refers to in the New Testament, it this is all, all of John chapter 7 is basically Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles and the things that he talked about there and there's in that passage where we find him saying i am you know he who believes in me i'll fill with rivers of living water and that's where that comes from so that's why those images are on that plate as as it were so but uh yeah a god thing um of all is my my favorite movie of all time the catchphrase of all the gin joys in all the world you walked into mine uh, all the places, all the times. I think it's been down there for 20 years, probably, and we just uncover it right now, so that's kind of fun. So, Well, you know in movies how sometimes they show you a scene at the beginning and it gets you interested in what's going to happen, and then the rest of the movie is a flashback that tells you how they got to that point. And um, so... Uh, that's what we're going to kind of do today. I'm gonna, we're going to go into something here. You're going to say to yourself, what does this have to do with the Feast of Tabernacles? I don't get it. But this is the, the, this is the opening scene to get you kind of interested in the Feast of Tabernacles. And then we're going to spend the rest of the class kind of flashback to how we got to this point. So... Um, if you would turn to uh, your, in your Bible to Psalm 118. Psalm 118. So Psalms 113 through 118 are known as the Hallel. And the Hallel are a series of psalms that are sung during certain Jewish religious services. And um this is a, 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 an important part of some of these services because these psalms, you know, obviously refer to God and to the way he takes care of his people and his, the way he has helped his people and so on and so forth. Well, Psalm 118 is the last of those songs or psalms that are sung as they sing the Hallel. And uh, you know how it is. Uh, you save the best for last, right? 
So Psalm 118 is like the culmination of this of this observance, of the way they do their observances. And the reason it is, is because in the Jewish faith, Psalm 118 is seen as a messianic psalm. It's a psalm that talks about the coming of Messiah and about Messiah. So this is a, a proper way to finish this because it's talking about their expectation that Messiah will come to the Jewish people. Um, and of course, as we read it, we have a different interpretation of it because Messiah has already come through Christ, right? So we read it completely differently, but with the same idea that it refers to Jesus. It refers to the Messiah. And uh, when you read... Um, I believe it's in John, um, where at the end of the Last Supper, uh, before Jesus and his disciples went out to the Garden of Gethsemane, as the, as the uh, Passover meal was ending, it says that they sung a hymn and then they went out. Well, almost certainly everyone believes that they, the song they sang was Psalm 118, that that would have been the last. So, Think about that. We're going to read now what was probably the last song that Jesus sung with his friends. They probably sang it every year. Every year they observed Passover, they probably sang this at the end of the Passover meal, the Passover service. And on this this time, this would be the last, the last song that Jesus would sing and share with his people. And he's talking about himself here, which is the cool thing. So I want, let's just read it together and... Um, See what it says. It says, verse 1, pray. Now, again, I'm reading from the Tree of Life Bible, my new Bible, um, which is written uh, by Messianic Jews to emphasize the Judaism part of it, the Jewish part of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So I'm, I, they use certain Jewish words here that you won't have. You'll have translated into English in your Bible, but, you know, you'll get it. So, <clears throat> so it says here in verse 1, 118, Praise Adonai, for he is good, for his loving kindness endures forever. Oh, let Israel say, his loving, oh, for his loving kindness endures forever. Oh, let the house of Aaron say, and those would be the priests and the Levites, for his loving kindness endures forever. Oh, let those who fear Adonai, those who respect and reverence, at God say, for his loving kindness endures forever. So there's kind of the opening that, you know, God is loving, his loving kindness endures forever, 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 forever. Okay, verse five. Out of a tight place, I called on Adonai. Adonai answered me with a spacious place. Out of a tight place, out of Egypt, where it was a tight place, right? They were clamped down. They were they were servant. They were slaves. It's a tight place. They're in a different. Adonai answered me with a spacious place, and he brought them to the promised land, a spacious place uh, where they would would live eventually. Verse six. Adonai is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And you're going to find various verses in this uh, psalm that we repeat all the time, not really maybe know where it comes from. So this is one of those. If God is for me, I will not fear. For what can man do for, do to me? This is something we repeat all the time. Verse 7, Adonai is for me as my helper. I will see the downfall of those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in Adonai than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in Adonai than to trust in princes. All nations surround me. Remember we talked about last week? Or it was two weeks ago, we talked about uh, where uh, all the nations would surround Jerusalem and God would supernaturally uh, defeat them through the coming of Christ. That was last week, wasn't it? Through the Day of Atonement. So this is even referred, all nations surrounded me. Uh, so this is looking forward to that day. In the name of Adonai, I cut them off. They surrounded me. Yes, all around me. In the name of Adonai, I cut them off. They swarmed around me like bees. They were extinguished like burning thorns. We use that, we use that in uh, Zechariah, that idea of uh, the burning, uh, that, that God would be a burning uh, flame among the, 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 the uh, crops and uh, would defeat them. Um, so they are extinguished like burning thorns. In the name of Adonai, I cut them off. You pushed me hard to make me fall, but Adonai helped me. 
Adonai is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory are in the tents of the righteous. Adonai's right hand is mighty. Adonai's right hand is lifted high. Adonai's right hand is mighty. I will not die but live and proclaim what Adonai has done. Adonai has chastened me hard but has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and praise Adonai. This is the gate of Adonai. The righteous will enter through it. I give you thanks because you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And Peter referred to that in his defense in Acts. We read that when we were doing Acts. And uh, he this is he says this is this is Jesus this is referring to Jesus that the builder the stone the builders reject has become the capstone. Peter says this is Jesus. It is from Adonai. It is it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that Adonai has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We said that you hear that all the time. This is where it comes from. Now the next two verses are the two verses we're going to look at in some a little bit in a little bit in depth here. Verse uh, 25 is called the Hosanna verse, and um, it is the verse that during the Feast of, this is one of the reasons we're looking at this psalm, is because during the Feast of Tabernacles, during one part of the ceremony, the uh, priests would walk around the altar, and as they would walk around the altar, they would sing verse 25, the Hosanna verse. 118.25. And as they would walk around uh, the altar singing verse 25, the people in the temple who are there to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles on that day have gone out and they've cut branches, and some willow branches, some palm branches, and they brought them back to the temple. And as the uh, priests go around the altar singing verse 25, the people are waving the palm branches, okay, and the other branches. So uh, it says, verse 25, the Hosanna verse. Uh, does your say Hosanna of verse 25? What does your say, your Bible? No, what does it say, verse 25? Anything? Oh, Lord, save us. Oh, Lord, save us. Okay, so here is what it actually says. And even even this doesn't really um, even this does a little bit better, but this doesn't even really do it justice. So we'll, we'll, let me say it, and then we'll we'll look at it. So verse twenty five says Hoshiana, Hoshiana, which is where we get the word Hosanna, Hoshiana. Please, Adonai, save now. We beseech you, Adonai, prosper us. Then verse twenty six is a verse that. We're going to look at here in a minute that um, Jesus himself repeats uh, in later in the New Testament, and in the uh, in the um, Hebrew, it's Baruch Abba Bashem Adonai, Baruch Abba Bashem Adonai, which means you probably have it in your Bible. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Adonai. Let's go on. We'll finish it up. We bless you from the house of Adonai. Adonai is God, and he has given us light. That light is another part of the ceremony of tabernacles. Uh, there's a part where they light those menorahs, and that's a part of it. Join the festival with branches. We just said they wave the branches during the Feast of Tabernacles as the um, priests go around the altar. So join the festival. What festival? The Feast of Tabernacles, right? So, so now you know when you read Psalm 118, it's talking about the festival with the branches. That is the Feast of Tabernacles talking about. Upon the horns of the altar, what they did was they would take their they would take the palm branches and the willow branches, and they would put it. They would now they would all, all wave them, but they they would also put them. They would put them. A, a, they would put them like above and around around the the altar. And these were big. These weren't like small, like you see the children wave on Palm Sunday. These were big palm branches and willow branches. And so they put them around the altar, and they, and they would then form like a, like a little bit of a canopy, because they put them on all four sides, right, above the altar. And so that would create 
a tabernacle. That would create a tabernacle around the altar. So when it says, join the festival, the festival of tabernacles with branches, which is part of the celebration, up, up to the horns of the altar, that's what they're talking about. They built a tabernacle around the altar with these branches. You are my God and I praise you. You are my God, I exalt you. Praise Adonai for he is good, for his loving kindness endures forever. So um, I want to go back to verse uh, 25 because um, <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to break it. So, <laughs> And then everybody in the class is going to go, oh! <gasps> And Jen will go, I knew, Jen will say, I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> okay, so verse 25. Um, Hoshiana, Hoshiana, please, Adonai, save now. Uh, we beseech you, Adonai, prosper us. Um, now, if you have, now, I'm, one of you, just read what you have in your Bible. Cheryl, you want to read what you have in your Bible? I will, because it's kind of similar. Okay. A Lord, you say, we beseech thee. O Lord, we beseech thee, do send prosperity. That's a little bit better. Does someone else have something different in your Bible? Stan? The Bible we keep here, which is just the King James, but it says, um, Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. Oh, Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Yeah, the King James Version does a pretty good job of translating it, actually. But... I've got a different one. Go ahead. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. And all the Lords through here are capitalized. I think that's important. Too. Yeah, I mean... All that's, four letters are capitalized. Right, and that's, the, that's that if Adonai, you know, yeah. God Almighty is what they're talking about there. Um, this is the typical translation, which... Read it again, Chuck, real quick. Okay. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. That doesn't really, does it? That doesn't really get down to what they're really saying here. And it's even more than what we've said here. Literally, what it says is, oh, please. And the idea there is not just, please help me. The idea is it's begging. And the word beseech is a good one. Right. It's beseeching. It, you know, when you get the word beseech, that means, you know, you're the idea is that so you're begging. Oh, please, please, Lord, I'm begging you, I'm beseeching you. Help us now. Yahweh. Help us now, Yahweh. And then Hoshiana, Hoshiana, save us. Now, please. So there's a please at the beginning and a please at the end, which almost no translations really go to that extent, not even the one I have here. But if you look at the Hebrew literally and translate it literally, each word individually, that's what it means. Please, Lord, I beg you, I beseech you, help us now, Yahweh. Save us, deliver us now, please. So it's this... You know, this guttural kind of request, God, we need we need you so badly. And then the next verse, or the next part of that verse about prosperity is exactly the same, just changing the word save us now to prosper us now. So that one is, oh, please, we beg you, we beseech you, prosper us, prosper us now, Yahweh, now, please. So both of these, they're parallel thoughts with save us and prosper us. And the idea is, please, we're begging, we're beseeching you to do this. Do it now, God, as only you can do it. Please do it. Please do it now. Please do it now. <laughs> so you really need to, to you know, that, that's a little bit of a different understanding, isn't it? When you read it that way. And the reason it's part of, so important to tabernacles is that tabernacles celebrates God's provision for his people in the wilderness and his provision for his people now. And so the idea of save us, deliver us, and prosper us all is bound up in that idea of God's provision for his people. But 
this idea of Hoshiana and Hosanna, I wanted to even go into a little bit more depth in that because this goes into the New Testament, doesn't it? During the triumphal entry. And we're getting ready to go into, this. matter of fact, today is the first Sunday of Lent. And I normally would have started a new series today uh, that was a Lenten series that would be something different. But we haven't finished this, and we need to finish it. And we're not going to finish it today, and we'll hopefully finish Tabernacles tomorrow, or next next week, (laughs) next Sunday, next Sunday. You can go back tomorrow if you want, but uh, I won't be here, but... um, Next Sunday, and then the Sunday after that, we're going to be gone. And then the Sunday after that, I want to do the wrap-up thing. And so I'm not sure that we're going to get to Lent. But um, but I do have a series of essays I'm going to read you. Yay, everybody loves it. Um, uh, that that, that uh, focuses on Lent. So we'll do that at the end. If it, whether, whether we're doing Lent or not during the class, we'll have a last thing of Lent and to think about at the very end. Okay, so... Um, but but we're t- going into uh, the, the Lenten season. We're going into uh, the the last week of Christ's life. We're going into the crucifixion and resurrection and so forth. But part of that is the triumphal entry, right? Uh, when Jesus goes into Jerusalem and he is recognized as Messiah by some people at that time. And so and part of that is Hosanna, right? Hosanna to God in the highest, that kind of thing. So let's look at this. So this is uh, from Abiram Abiram publication. So it's talking about Hosanna. It says um, the, the word Hosanna consists of two elements. The first part of Hosanna comes from an interesting word group that starts with the familiar verb yasha, meaning to be saved or delivered. The verb yasha means to be unrestricted and thus to be free and thus to be saved. A doer of this verb is a savior. Nouns, Yeshua, and Yeshua is the Hebrew name and reference for Jesus, Yeshua. So nouns Yeshua, Yesha, and Teshua mean salvation. Did you know that Jesus' name means salvation? It's a, it's uh, the same name as Joshua was in the Old Testament. Joshua is seen as um, you know the savior of taking the people into the promised land, and Jesus, of course, <laughs> that was a physical savior for God's people, but Jesus being the spiritual savior. So the name, keep in mind, the name Jesus Yeshua means salvation. It means salvation. The verb Shawa means to cry out for salvation. Um, nouns Shua, Shoa, Shawa mean a cry for salvation. Hosanna is formed from the imperative. That means it's a command to the verb Yesha, meaning to save. This part of the word Hosanna means save or bring about salvation. The final part of the word Hosanna is the Hebrew word Na, the common, common particle of entreaty, please. So Hoshia, Na, means hoshia, save, na, please. So hosanna means save, and the word now, and it's also the idea of now, so save now, please, is the idea of hosanna. So it goes on to say, um, the particle na is the Bible's common particle of entreaty and means please. It shows up incorporated in various standard phrases. Of course, the familiar hoshia, na, save, please. The phrase uh, Hashiana occurs in Psalm 118.25 and actually comes with a kind of double entendre. Following the verb Yasha and the particle Na comes the rarer, and this is where none of the translations get this last part, because uh, they just kind of incorporate it all together. Um, but God puts it in there for a reason, to be separate, I think. Uh, so following the verb Yasha and the particle Na, Hashiana, comes the rarer and even more reflective of desperation, ana, which is a contraction of aha, of hana, usually translated with something like, ah, now we beseech thee. In Christian circles, Psalm 118 quickly became one of the most popular of all. 
he has become my salvation, almost perfectly contains the name Jesus. With the references to God's right hand, return uh, in Matthew and Mark, the stone which the builders rejected is applied to Christ by Peter. This is the day the Lord has made, became its own evergreen song in our times. And the Hebrew phrase, Hashiana of 118.25, became the Hosanna with which the people of Jerusalem greeted Christ during his triumphal entry through the gates of righteousness, the gate of the Lord, which is also from Psalm 118. All four Gospels cover the triumphal entry, triumphal entry, but Luke never uses the word Hosanna. Why that is, we don't know. Matthew uses it, Mark uses it, and John uses it. By the time of the triumphal entry, Hosanna had curiously evolved from an expression of deep anguish to a kind of cheer. The seventh day of Sukkot, which is the Feast of Tabernacles, the seven, it's a seven-day feast. The seventh day of the Feast of Tabernacles was known as Hosanna Rabbah, or the Great Hosanna. Uh, by applying the word Hosanna to Jesus Christ, the celebrators of Jerusalem were A, equating him with the God to whom the psalmist's original Hosanna was directed, and B, indicating that Jesus personified the completion of the Feast of Tabernacles. Although note that despite the palm branches, the actual Feast of Tabernacles was celebrated in the autumn, whereas the entry occurred just prior to Passover in the spring. So uh, that gives it a little bit more life, doesn't it? And a little bit more understanding. So <clears throat> then um, if you go to the next verse, verse 26 of Psalm 118, the next one is Baruch Haba Bashem Adonai. Baruch Haba Bashem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So turn over to Matthew uh, 21. Remember that. Matthew 21. Baruch Haba Bashem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Adonai, who comes in the name of the Lord. So Matthew 21, let's start with verse 6. The disciples went and did as Yeshua had directed them. They brought the donkey and colt and put their clothing on them, and he sat on the clothing. Most of the crowd spread their, spread their clothing on the road, and others began cutting branches from the trees. This is tabernacles. And spreading them on the road, the crowds going before him, and those following kept saying, Hoshiana to Ben David, Hosanna to the son of David. Where do you think they got this? They got this because they knew Psalm 118. They knew Psalm 118 was a messianic psalm. They know the great Hosanna verse that the priests sing every single year as they circle the, uh, the uh, altar. So when they say Hoshiana to Ben David, Hoshiana to the son of David, they're saying this is the fulfillment of, of Psalm 118, verse 25, that we've talked about all these years. Hoshina, save us. Hoshina, prosper us. Who's going to do that? The Messiah is going to do that. The Messiah is going to prosper us. The Messiah is going to save us. And here he comes. This is the this fulfillment of Psalm 118, verse 25. And then the next verse is, Baruch Abba Bashem Adonai. What does that mean? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Where do they get that? They get that from 118 verse 26. So they're saying these two go together. These two go together. So Hosanna, Hoshiana to Ben David, Hosanna, save us now to the son of David. This this is him. This is the fulfillment of 118, what I was talking about. And Baruch Abba Bashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here he is. We are now seeing this fulfillment. Blessed is he who comes. Who is blessed who comes in the name of the Lord? It's referring to Messiah. So he said, this is happening right now before our eyes. Bless you who comes in the Hoshiana in the highest. It all sounds great, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. Turn over to chapter 23 of Matthew. And verse, let's see, verse 37. And this is Jesus speaking. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets, and stones those who sent her. How often I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house has left you desolate, for I tell you, you will never see me again until you say, Baruch Abba Bashem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, they just said it. They just said it in verse 21. 
So why does Jesus say in verse 23, which is afterwards, I tell you, you will never see me again until you say, Baruch Abba, Bashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What, he, he, they just said it. So why is he saying that you really won't know me and see me and understand me as Messiah until you see me again at some point in the future? You know why? Because when they said it in verse 21, they didn't really mean it. They said it in verse 21, it was head, not heart. You see, there are a lot of people who read the Bible with their head, but it doesn't affect their heart. And people maybe come to church because they want something intellectually, a stimulation intellectually. The study of the Bible can be a great intellectual exercise, and if that's all you want it to be. And there are a lot of people in the world who uh, that's why they look at the study of the Bible and history and so forth. This is intellectual stimulation for them. But it doesn't change your heart. <laughs> a lot of people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. The distance from here to here or here to here, this 18 inches, they're going to miss heaven because of that. And so what Jesus is saying is here, you know, you're rejecting me. I've come for you and you're rejecting me. And you won't say with your heart, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord until you see me again. But remember the day of atonement we talked about and uh, when he comes and he second coming and he sets his feet on the Mount of Olives and the Jews who are alive at that time and living in Jerusalem can see it. He's going to save them and they're going, what they're going to do? What are they going to do? They're going to grieve and they're going to mourn and they're going to cry. Because why? Because they finally recognize him as Baruch, Abba, Bashem, Adonai, blessed be him. So when are they going to say this? They're going to say this when he comes again for his second coming during the Day of Atonement, when they will actually see him return and understand and realize with their hearts. And the reason he saves them when he does it is because when they see him, they change their hearts and understand that they missed it and they grieve. You know, have you ever like been sorry because you missed something that if you had done it or been there or whatever, your life would have been so much, things would have been better for one way or another, and you grieve not having done that or made that decision? And that's what they're going to say is ah, their grief and their mourning is because they missed it. So here Jesus is saying, yes, actually verse 26 of verse 118, this will actually be fulfilled on my in my second coming. Right. Yes? I think the other perspective on the rejection uh, in uh, the Matthew 21 passages, that they they were looking for Messiah, but their perspective was wrong. And uh, on the coins in the uh, Israeli money at that time, where it was the palm branches, uh, but it was really... The declare declaration of uh, it was a political declaration, uh, and so so this may have been we're finally out of this Roman thing because of the Messiah, this political Messiah is finally here. So right. I think you're right, absolutely, but their their hearts were wrong in perspective. Yeah, I think there were some. I mean, I think most of them at the time thought that he was Messiah. I think that was a at the time they thought it was a true thing. But when he didn't meet their expectations, then they stopped believing. And I think, you know, sometimes people today can be guilty of the same thing. You know, they want Jesus to be a Jesus that they create. They want God to be the God that they create. And when God doesn't meet their expectations, then they don't believe anymore. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that was the case there where he came for them. And uh, if they had really been paying attention and really been, uh, you know, aware, then they would have known who he was, even though he had a different reason for coming than they expected him to have. So, um, you know, that was, and what Jesus is saying is, I came to you because I wanted to save you and you rejected me. And that's why he was so sad. And that's why he was saying, this will come true. Verse 26 
of verse 118 didn't come true in my triumphal entry because you rejected me. You, you ultimately rejected me, but it'll come true. You know, four days later, you rejected me, but it'll come true in my second coming when, when that happens. And then, then you really will recognize me for who I am. Well, we have a video here of uh, the song, a song. This, we, we, don't know the, we don't know the exact song that was sung exactly back when Jesus' day and all that, and the great um, Hosanna verse. And this isn't the Hosanna verse that these girls are singing. This is verse 26, which is uh, Baruch uh, Abba Bashem Adonai. But they sing it so beautifully, and it, it, I could... I could I could hear I could hear Jesus and the people of his day if they're singing Psalm 118 they get to this part that it probably sounded just as beautiful as this does so I wanted to just play this and um, see if you agree with me how um, really outstanding it, it is do we lose our power yeah that's down after I'm sorry I talked to no, I talk too long. I find that hard to believe. <laughs> She's, I, I make my living as a salesman. I sell things. And uh, Jesus says, sometimes when you talk about God, you sound like you're selling. You're, you're giving a sales pitch. And I'm like, well, I am giving a sales pitch, kind of. So... There... I tell you what, while you're doing that, I'll, let me let me do my Lenten thing, and then that'll give you a few minutes to see if we can get that. And we'll do that at the end. So this is Lent, and uh, so since we're probably not going to do a Lenten series, I have a series of essays that I've written for Lent that's called Faces at the Cross, and I've taken people who uh, were probably at the cross during Jesus' crucifixion, and I've written my own um, imaginative idea of kind of what their story was. So the first one here is Faces at the Cross, and it's Mary Magdalene. So it says, Magdala seems a world and a lifetime away. How did a girl like me, who grew up on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, among fishermen and dye makers, end up here in this awful place, among Roman soldiers and a mocking crowd? How did the sun and surf of my youth, so bright and fresh and full of life, end up displaced by this darkness that surrounds me today, so dull and full of death. As I think back of those days in Magdala, my mind is flooded with so many memories, both good and bad, and vivid now. Those good memories are so wonderful, yet opposed by bad memories so terrible that it seems as if I lived two lives there. My early years were the same as those of any Jewish girl. I was taught how to be a good wife and mother. I learned to keep a clean house cook a tasty meal, and be devoted in my religious observances. But to be honest, I was also spoiled just a little bit, probably because I was an only child. I'm sure my parents, my dad especially, would have loved to have had a boy, a son who could have learned at my father's feet, but it was not to be. So as the only child, both my mother and father made sure I was happy in every way. As I grew older, I began to realize how truly blessed I was. My father had a thriving business as a dye maker. He would gather all kinds of plants and even a few special sea creatures, and through secrets known only to him, he would transform those raw materials into the most beautiful colors. His work was in high demand throughout Capernaum, and he was able to demand a good price for his dyes. That was my first life in Magdala, a life of good things, but it was also a short life. Little did we know that working with those dyes would eventually make my father sick. Even if he had known, I'm not sure he would have changed anything. He was so proud of his business, of his dyes, and of the way he was able to give my mother and I such a good home. All too soon, he was gone, and my mother was never the same. Losing my father was like losing a part of herself. She never stopped grieving for him, and not long after losing him, I lost her, too. That was the beginning of my second life in Magdala, a life of bad things. From that point on, I was lost. The two people who had made my life so worth living were no longer living. So I really had no desire to go on living either. I had inherited all the money I could spend from my father's business, and I decided to find out how many ways I could do just that, spend it. What came next was years of confused consciousness. I was nervous, depressed, unhappy, angry. 
in and out of trouble with the authorities, in and out of relationships with men. Sometimes both the authorities and the men questioned my sanity. Sometimes so did I. My inheritance allowed me to do whatever I wanted to do, and what I wanted to do was get rid of my pain, even if it took more pain to do it. At my lowest, I decided enough was enough. So I walked out of the town to the Sea of Galilee, intending to keep walking until the water covered my head, and then I would walk out even farther, not stopping until it was all over. But on the way, what I expected to be a lonely path to the shore became something completely different. The closer I got, the more crowded the path became. By the time my feet touched sand, there were hundreds of people in front of me and behind me, all making their way to the sea too. But why? As I moved forward, I saw others who were already at the seaside, sitting or standing at the edge of the water, while a small boat was anchored just a short distance away. There were a few men in the boat, one of whom was standing and talking to the crowd. I stopped and stood, then sat too. As he spoke, what he said was more than talking. It was preaching. Not just preaching, but storytelling. It was unlike anything I had heard before. He was talking about God and about God's kingdom, but in a way that all of us could understand. His words had such power, such authority, such insight. Beside me, a little boy was starting to fidget. As his mother quietly pulled him close, she whispered in his ear, Settle down, little one. This is Jesus, the healer and miracle worker. Pay attention. Behind me, two men were speaking in low voices. I was there when John baptized him in the Jordan River and proclaimed that Jesus would be even greater than John himself, said one. This one must be the promised Messiah, replied the other. I was transfixed by the words I was hearing all around me and by the words of Jesus, but my heart was at war within me. I suddenly wanted to leave, to get out of there. I did not want to listen anymore. These people had no idea of what I had been through. Maybe they could embrace this man and what he was preaching, but how could I? I closed my eyes. No, I was too far gone. There was no hope for me. It was time to go back to my old life. But before I could move, I heard it. Silence. No preaching. The crowd was mute. I opened my eyes, and there he was, no longer out on the boat, but standing right in front of me. He reached down and took my hand. Release her, he said. Come out of her now. Immediately something happened inside of me. Such relief, such calm, such change, peace like I had never known before. My heart was new. My mind was clear for the first time in years. Seven demons no longer have control of your life, Jesus said to me. Go and be free of your confusion. Shalom, be at peace. But I could not go. I could only follow. From that day to this, I have never stopped following him. When he traveled around Galilee preaching and teaching in the synagogue, I followed him. When he went up to the mount and preached a sermon I will never forget that we all talked about, I followed him. When he came into Jerusalem for the last time, a triumphal entry like that of a king to the loud hosannas of what seemed to be the whole world, I followed him. When he was arrested by the Jewish guards in the garden and put on trial by the Roman commander Pontius Pilate, I followed him. When he carried his own cross to this place called Golgotha, I followed him. And yes, I followed him as he was crucified on that same cross, and as he even now is bleeding and dying before me. It has been a long journey from Magdala to this place at the foot of the cross. Wherever they take him from here, wherever they lay him, I can promise you this, I will be the first one to follow him there too. Through my agony, through my tears of grief and astonishment, I still feel deeply in my spirit that a time will come when I will follow him once more. His life made my life good again. May his death make my life even better. Whatever happens, I will follow him in life or in death because I am now and always will be his. So there's Mary. Okay, good. So we'll end with our wonderful song here. Baruch Abba Bashem Adonai.
Isn't that good? They talk about the resting place there, and one of the other ideas of tabernacles is, you know, is the place of rest. And the Jewish people, uh, one of the ways they look at, you know, on the seventh during God's creation, that on the seventh day that God rested in His tabernacle. So isn't that cool? So that was the first two pages of my lesson on tabernacles. So we have a long way yet to go. So we'll uh, we'll pick that up next week for part two. <laughs> That concludes this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today and those everlasting arms you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you, peace be with you. Shalom.